Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. State of America. Hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road. All right, everybody, welcome back to the State of America podcast. As always, I am one of your hosts, David, and the uh, the other guy that helps me out with this every now and then is Mr. Ian Rice. The other guy. <laughs> Thanks, David. You've really gotten good at this introing stuff after three years. <laughs> we'll start calling you Tog, the other guy. The other guy. No, Ian does a whole lot more than I do, to be honest. How you been? I'm all right, man. How you been? Oh, good. Let's see here. First things first, a little housekeeping. Thank you for everybody that's joined us on uh, Patreon. We are having a good time over there. We uh, let's see, we have some new members, Grant Edwards and Jason Jeffrey. We appreciate it, fellas. But Ian, we have given away a ton of stuff in the last couple of weeks. The other night, we gave away essentially a free trip to Miramar Beach, Florida, to go to the Moon Crush Festival. Four nights, free accommodations, in a big house that uh, Jason Donchus got for us and uh, free tickets and some travel money. And uh, for those that aren't uh, familiar, it's a four day festival on the beach. The headliners are JJ Gray and Mofro, the Avid brothers, Jason Isbell, black crows, black pumas, Marcus King are all going to be there. It's going to be a good time. Trampled by turtles is going to be there if you like that kind of music. But um, we had an anonymous patron, Give us essentially the tickets for free. And then Jason Donchus got the uh, the house and uh, State of America is going to play travel money. So uh, that's huge. I sent out a couple of uh, rare Alan Forbes posters from one of the Fillmore runs that apparently have gotten lost in the mail. I hope they get there at some point. And you've given out a lot of stuff recently, hadn't you? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, some uh, driving and crying CDs went out, a few other things, I'm trying to keep things lively it's hard to beat that trip though we got to thank everybody who participated in that particularly jason thank you sir yeah yeah he he secured that that house for us and and thanks to the uh anonymous patron that is paying for the tickets that's not a that's not a cheap set of tickets but uh if you're interested in that it's called the moon crush festival it's in april in miramore beach florida which is essentially destin it's in between panama city and destin um, look that up if you want to go uh, and let us know. We'll uh, definitely all hang out. Um, I think right now we've got 17 people coming. Uh, yes, and uh, unfortunately, and I know this will affect many people's decision to go, but uh, I will not be able to make it to that. So you'll just be with Mr. David Hudson, which is reason enough to travel. But uh, just to let everybody know, because a few people asked me if I was heading down there, and then unfortunately I can't swing it. Ian, you on the beach with a Speedo, that 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 would get people there. It would, and then we'd have too many people there. It would, you know, be an influx, and, uh, you know, they'd probably have to cancel the festival, really. <laughs> Sitting in with us is uh, our buddy Brian Rosenberg. We got to know him during the uh, quarantine on some of our Zoom hangs at the time. He was living in uh, San Francisco, I believe, and he has moved back east, but he is a longtime member of Patreon with us, and, and we thank him for being on that, and uh, welcome to the show, Brian. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Pleasure. And thank you for all you do for all of the patrons. Like you guys really are the best. You you take care of us better than we deserve. Oh, well, uh, well, flattery I, goes a long way. I had the uh, the opportunity to first meet Brian at the Jones Beach show last summer. 
the Shake Your Money Maker tour, and it was great. And then, of course, Brian and I just hooked up again up at Levon Helm Studios, seeing Trigger Hippie this past Friday evening. It was a great time. That was that was my first time seeing Trigger Hippie. First time at the venue. That first time really, you know, getting to hang out with you at all, and all of it just made for a great night. Yeah. yeah, I can't stress enough to people to check out Trigger Hippie. I mean, that was a really, really great performance. And it was enhanced, of course, by being at Levon Helm Studios, a legendary, legendary venue. It was great to be there. For those who don't remember, Before the Frost Until the Freeze was essentially recorded there and mixed there and all that great stuff. That was back in 2009. So it was really a trip to go there and see the site of where that album was recorded. Yeah, I went back and watched Cabin Fever the next day. Now that I had the perspective of seeing the stage and seeing where they performed in it, it was something. Like if 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 you have the chance to do it, go. Ian was telling me just how tight the quarters are. Yeah, it seats. What would you say, Ian? Like 50, 70 people down below, and maybe twenty people standing in the balconies. Yeah, I mean you're maxing out at about a hundred, hundred twenty, maybe if you're lucky. Yeah. Now, Brian, did you were you seated or were you in the balcony? Uh, my wife and I wandered around a bit. So started behind the stage. You could actually stand like I could have reached over and pulled Steve Gorman's hair if I was a terrible person. But that's how close we were. I saw um, you thinking about it, man. <laughs> you can't take the five year old out of the man. But, um, no, so you could stand right behind the stage and literally close enough to touch the band and see the set list and just see the sweat on their forehead. Um, but we stood there. We stood uh, sat in our seats. Kind of got a lot of different perspectives because just the space is worth checking out from all over. Now, how are the acoustics in there? Ian, how are they from from upstairs for you? Yeah, Seth and I, I was with uh, Seth Miller, formerly of the Americans and a great friend of ours here. And he and I had seats actually in the row in front of you, Brian, but we never actually stayed down there because we wandered up to the balcony where the standing room was. And we kind of liked the view from up there. The sound was great up there. You know, that room really... Whoever designed the acoustics of that room really knew what they were doing. It, 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 I, I thought the sound was great. Even at the loudest moments, there was still clarity to me. And as you may have heard, that Steve Gorman can still hit the drums really, really hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Every, uh, every time he hit that snare, I felt it in my chest. He's got a heavy left hand, man. I know when we saw him in Nashville, I was um, I was up in the balcony, actually, with Steve Gleason. And I forgot what song it was, was and I was like, man. He needs to remember he's not in the black crows. He's about to he's about to destroy those drums. He's beating them so hard. But uh, I'm glad you guys had fun. Ian sent me a bunch of pictures. Um, uh, Ian, you ran into our old buddy Don Lane, who's been on here and is also a patron and just uh, overall good guy. Yeah, I was really excited to see Don Lane. We were standing out in front, and Seth and I were taking our picture in front of the Levon Helm Studios badge that they have on the outside of the building, and then turn our heads to the left, and Mr. Steve Gorman's wandering outside. And uh, looked like he came fresh out of one of those uh, Jimmy Page naps that he described in his uh, book. But, uh, you know, we said hello to him real quick. And he was chatting with somebody who I quickly realized was Mr. Don Lane. And I was really excited to see Don because I I had no inkling that he was going to be there. Don's a very nice guy. So we uh, ended up spending about a half hour, 45 minutes chatting with Don. And, you know, throughout the show, saw him and then afterwards chatted with him a bit. He's, He's a great guy. I was so glad to see him. For both of you, it was your first time seeing any incarnation of Trigger Hippie, correct? That's right. Yep. All right, Brian, when when I saw them, and I've seen them twice in the past couple of months, but when I saw them first in Nashville, the thing that stuck out to me immediately was how much power Amber's voice has. She should be a household name. She is one of the best vocalists I have ever seen, and she and she makes it look so easy. 
So for you, first time getting to see Amber perform, live up to the hype. Oh, absolutely. And like, I'm at least familiar, you know, play the CDs, play the records. This was my wife's first time really immersing herself in their music. And she was taken aback by, by really both the lead singers, Amber, especially because she came out on, on the first song and, you know, how can you not appreciate that? What she's doing up there. The other lead singer, just Ed, the tones that were coming out of his voice just did not always match the, the person, the body that you were seeing. You're like, that is, there's a disconnect here between the talent of these two people and what you expect, which, you know, should not judge people by their covers, you know? Well, the thing that always sticks out to me seeing them there, nobody in that band's a slouch. They're all upper echelon players and just contribute in their own way. Nick seems to be, I think the one that's probably the bass player is probably the one probably directing the band. At least it looks like Mm -hmm. uh, on stage and uh, man, they are, they are a lot of fun. So, uh, what were some of the highlights of the set for you, Brian? Uh, Hurricane was the one that I just closed my eyes and got lost in. I probably knew I was going to be predisposed to feel that way going into it. It's my favorite song by them, but they delivered on that one. And that just that took me away. It was great. Also, you realize you don't know all the words to songs like you think you do. <laughs> Except Seth. Seth knew every word to every song. I mean, Seth even knew the words to the banter I was watching and he knew it all. <laughs> Seth is uh, a trip to see a show with, and I was definitely had a lot of fun with him. That overall, I mean, you know, David, you're talking of the power of of Amber's voice, and there's definitely a power there. The thing that I felt that was most impressive is, as a Black Crows fan, I'm naturally drawn to watch Steve Gorman play, uh, especially since he's mesmerizing to watch play. So the fact that every other member in that band can distract my attention for a considerable length of time from just focusing on Steve is a, is a real comment on, on their abilities. I mean, I was, I didn't know where to look next. You know, I, I, everybody was just turning in such an excellent performance. I love how they have three different people that sing lead. Mm. And then you have the great, you know, harmonies that they produce. And then they do heartache on the line, Amber and, and Ed, we need to find a way to get Steve to sing a song. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they, there was meet the Steve's so we can maybe yeah. revive that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I, for me, the highlight, well, not the highlight, but one of the highlights was born to be blue and the way that they pulled that off. You're talking about the vocal harmonies. The intro to that is, is, uh, you know, with like a three-part harmony and, and it was like, it was like the record was playing. It was unbelievable. So I thought that was great. And uh, don't want to bring you down the, the first set closer, you know, was great. And of course, they snuck in a cover of uh, the shape I'm in. You know, you got to uh, you got to do a band to him when you're in Levon's place. I think that was uh, on the fly choice that they announced. It wasn't on the on the original set list. That was for sure. And then they also did a cover, which David, you had mentioned to me prior that they had done this. It was a cover of the Pretenders Middle of the Road, which was unbelievably good. Brian, what did you think about them breaking out the shape I'm in? It was fun. Like the, the, the banter going back, Steve saying, all right, everyone, we don't really know the song. So, you know, bear with us or whatever it was he actually said. Like, you can tell that they just like playing together. These are these are pros who are at the top of their game and who appreciate doing that with one another. I mean, the keyboardist, I don't think anyone had a better time on stage than he did. He was he was just living, living his best life up there and all of them. And yeah, when they started playing into the shape I'm in, that just really came out was that they were enjoying doing this together. So you're for sure going to see them next time they're they're in the Northeast. Oh, yeah. You know, you know what's great about them? Freaks like like us that love the Black Crows can go enjoy it. They do. They do a little bit of jamming. You know, there's there's great musical playing. 
And then like my wife who likes a little more soulful type music and, and, and female leads can go. It's a great place to take your wife. Mm-hmm. And my wife who likes country music actually really, you know, low down country song, which they closed it with. She's like, I hate to break it to you, but you like country music. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was a good tune. I, and the new tunes they played were good. Um, I don't recall their names um, off the set list. I think. Sacrificing maybe. the main line. And was it yeah. party waiting for you? Uh, yeah, there was that, and there was no one other. Wasn't there one other one? I, I, if, but um, I think it was if not now, perhaps or that's yeah. The third. And uh, those were great. I, I hope those are forthcoming in some kind of format, whether it be a, a new album or they just release them as singles or something. Yeah, we need some new music soon. Yeah, because I mean they're they're just firing on all cylinders. So much fun to watch. Well, Ian, uh, I'm glad you guys had a good time and um, got to meet up with Brian. And I do have to apologize to you, Brian, I, and and all the everything that was going on and we neglected to take a photo together. I do apologize for that. We can photo, we can Photoshop one. (laughs) Yeah, we could. Yeah. It'd be the same though. Anyway, Ian, that brings us to our interview this week. It's with Jeff Gorman, who is the uh, lead singer and guitar player for illiterate light. Um, They're a band that I first heard of when uh, his uncle Steve talked about them on one of his uh, book tour interviews. And, uh, pulled them up and started listening to them and I really enjoy them. And then I turned you on to them. That's right. You told me that uh, this was green lighted after, you know, quite some time of us uh, trying to make this happen. So I went and listened to the band's first self-titled album and wow, what a great album. I really encourage anybody to check out the record and uh, really dig deep into it. It's one of those records that it's great on the first listen, but it kind of builds on you too. And their new single, is really fantastic so that's uh, indicating that the next album is probably going to be something special as well and definitely a great interview with jeff he was a really really fun guy to chat to he's just a fan of music and he has a he has a really strong reverence for the music of the black crows you can hear that in his voice and mm. hear him talk about it and speaking of uh levon's barn i believe uh, before the frost may be his favorite crows album mm-hmm. so um i want to encourage you to go to, to illiteratelight.com and uh, sign up for their mailing list and follow them on all their socials. They do have a new album coming out. I believe he says in January, they have not released the name or the specific dates yet, but the, uh, the lead single is light me up and it's a little um, heavier sonically than some of their other stuff. And from what um, I believe he told us the next album is going to have some of that on it. And so uh, we're excited about that, but he could not have been a nicer person. He was so much fun to interview and I uh, just want to let everybody know that the Illiterate Light Tour does start on September 1st in Baltimore, Maryland. Check out their website, illiteratelight.com, for all the tour dates. And if they're in your area, I strongly suggest checking out a show. Yeah, so f- sign up for all of their socials and, and their newsletter on their website and follow them. Uh, good guys. We'll hope to have Jeff on again. He uh, seemed like he wanted to come on and talk. And Brian, thank you, first of all, for being a patron, as always. We appreciate that. And thank you for coming on. And giving a quick review of trigger hippie my pleasure stay tall gents all right everybody here's jeff gorman
Well, Jeff, first of all, thank you for coming on. I remember, I guess when your uncle was doing his book tour and uh, so this would have been pre pandemic and he was talking about his nephew's band. And of course uh, I went and uh, looked you up and uh, been listening to you guys ever since. And uh, oh, so nice. he, he did a good job of publicizing you. He was, he was saying these guys are already better than I am. <laughs> <laughs> he's been, he's been um, well, it's funny because I started se- sending Steve songs um demos and stuff when i was probably 14 years old so you know just to give some of the listeners and and crows fans a a, you know a a general sense of where i'm coming from in the context i was born in november of 89 you know so when the crows were picking up and and mr crow's garden and and um really kicking things off in atlanta in the late 80s i wasn't even around yet and I was able to grow up with so much of their music, but when when I started writing and transitioning from drums to guitar, you know, the first person I wanted to share my music with was Steve. And so, ever since 2004, 2005, he's heard everything I've done. Fast forward years down the road, where I'm actually, you know, starting to find musicians that I'm playing with that I really jive with, and we're really touring and stuff, and. And ever since I started sending him music that we've been writing as a literate light, he's just been really like, hey, you're really finding something here. So long story short, you know, he's been a real champion of of my music and he's heard every single song I've ever written, really. So it always makes me, you know, really happy when he's he's kind of waving our flag. But, you know, he's had such a big impact on me that all, all of my music stems from what he's created. Well, I tell you what, in a day and age when it's hard to be original, I find you your guys' music pretty original. I mean, it's a two-person band, and your voice, you have a very identifiable voice. It's kind of like, you know, there's certain, but like if you listen to when ACDC comes on, well, that's Brian Johnson. You know what he sounds like. You have a very unique voice. And what's so funny is when I first listened to you, I was like, this guy really sounds like Jim James, <laughs> you know, and then I, <laughs> then I sure. look up and you guys covered uh thank you for, well, you know, off evil urges. I'm a huge jacket fan. And, um, you know, I, I always have really been transparent about that because, you know, it's like their music has just had such a big impact on me when evil urges came out in 2008, that was the first record I had heard. Um, I was 18 and, was going through you know my girlfriend dumped me yeah i was in high school you yeah know, but it was like the classic you know and evil urges came out and it was just like my summer breakup anthem it's not really a breakup record but it just got me through so much and from there i just went backwards you know it was like from evil urges to z it still moves at dawn tennessee fire and then a bunch of the demo stuff and then since 2008 i've moved forward with them but i just love their music so much and i just discovered when i started playing guitar and writing songs that jim's kind of vocal range and and style just it felt very natural to me and and uh you know as an artist you're always a little bit on edge about ripping somebody ripping somebody off and there's always that little voice that comes to my head that is is critical in that way but at the end of the day i mean i'm just I'm such a fan of theirs, you know, I just, I don't really have any problem playing their songs or just kind of waving the flag. Cause I'm just like, I love what they've done. And, and I think we're with a literate light doing a unique thing, but they have definitely have, a, have had a huge impact on me. 
as powerful of a live band as you will ever see. Oh my um, gosh. And w- one of the things I think that's amazing about them, I was, I was a big fan of at dawn. It still moves Z evil urges. Their song, they have some songs that on the record, I don't really care for. And then I go see them live and I was like, well, <laughs> you that, know, maybe, and- maybe I thought about it. Right. And I think that's a mark of a good band. I think so too. And that that's one thing that, that we've tried to just as far as the way they've presented their live show. That's, that's one thing that I've, I've heard people say to us as well, which, which I take as a compliment, you know, it's, it's not that you didn't capture the right energy on the record. It's just that, wow, this song is like so different and so alive and so heavy in the live setting i've seen them they're like the kings of that their records are so amazing but there's just a few songs here and there that you know when you see it live it's just a holy shit sort of moment and so i i i love when that happens obviously the the crows are in that vein too all right so let's go back a little bit to to your band illiterate light for people that haven't listened try to you know in today's time you have to pigeonhole everybody <laughs> so yeah. if you ha- if we had to pigeonhole illiterate light what what would you compare your music to well it's funny because the mmj thing comes up a lot you know a, a friend of ours a promoter saw us a couple years ago and he said uh he was like it's as if mmj and neil young got together but when you open your eyes, you realize there's only two guys on stage. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it is, I don't mind being pigeonholed to be honest. You know, I think especially for our new record, we're going in a lot of different directions. Um, I, I think there's a, it, it gets heavier. And for me and Jake, when we formed, you know, it's 2016, we kind of sat down, we were finding our sound. We'd been playing music together for six years or so. And so there was something that was already organically coming up, right? But we also sat down and just said, you know, like what hasn't been done? Because I I really feel like so many of the blues uh, or I'm sorry, so many of the duos that you see out there. I don't know if they default to the blues. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but there's such a blues rock backbone. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of duos out there in that vein. And we just were kind of like, well, we're really more drawn to sort of almost like the college indie rock side of things maybe even like sort of fleet foxes or modest mouse or that sort of stuff and band of forces and that sort of thing. And we're like, what if we could take some of that sound and find a way to do it with just the two of us? And so it wasn't as much of a riff based thing, but we were really trying to write songs in a little bit of a different landscape. And um, so it was kind of a conscious decision very early on to say, let's not try to recreate the white stripes. Let's try to do something different. So yeah, it's a, it's a little bit more, I don't know if atmospheric is the right term. We certainly have a folky side to us being Virginia boys. So yeah, that's a little bit of where we're coming from. See, I, th- I think that's ultimately the mark of, of, a, of a really good band is that there's so many bands out there that are derivative, but they just sound exactly like some other band. Whereas, you know, a band such as yours takes all those influences and mixes them up and kind of puts out this, this unique original thing. And I think that's great. I mean, the, the new single definitely has a little bit of a heavier edge to it. Yeah. than Maybe the stuff on the first album, if I'm not mistaken, is, is the, it, is the new album going to be in the similar vein? It is. Yeah. It's, it's definitely heavier. There's a lot of, um, 
you know, I, I wouldn't really call it throwback sort of stuff, but, you know, it seems like every 20 years, there's 20, 30 years, there's an infatuation with this previous era. So this, the nineties, they love the seventies and, you know, now here we are, we all love the nineties. <laughs> and I, I, I think over the pandemic, I was listening to just a lot of, you know, smashing pumpkins and Nirvana and kind of like the, the the grunge wave out of Seattle and Alice in Chains and stuff like that. And so the new record is definitely leaning in that direction. I mean, but also I was writing a lot of stuff on keys and synth, both me and my bandmate are multi-instrumentalists. And so I started on drums and now I can kind of jump between whatever world we're in. But I think there's just been a real heavy, (laughs) heavy, dark feeling in the atmosphere over the last few years. And a lot of that is being captured on this record. Uh, I'd say light me up is one of the brighter songs on the album and the other stuff, the other stuff's a bit more moody, um, which is good. It feels really natural. It it feels kind of like the direction that we're heading in. When is the album coming out? We technically haven't announced it yet. Uh, It's coming out in January of 2023. We got a handful more singles that are, you know, it's like, I kind of follow the lead of, of, people wiser than me on as far as how we put out music at this point in in my mind we just announced the album and then three days later it's out you know but apparently that's not the smartest way to do it (laughs) so we're leaking songs you know one song a month for the next four months and then the record's out in january that seems to be the thing like um i'm a big fan of marcus king yeah and uh he's already his album i think comes out this friday but he's already released like four or five singles you know so yeah but but i mean in you know i'm always a guy that's gonna buy the product i'm gonna or pay for downloads ian and i are both big fans of paying for your music oh um, man and, it's awesome you know and we're gonna we're gonna buy a couple of copies of your album and give it away when it comes out it, to me, it just when you can just go on there and click on like Spotify and go, oh, Illiterate Light's got a new album out today. And I, you listen to the song, you haven't paid any money for it. And if it doesn't grab you in the first 15 seconds, you move on and you forget about it. I'm, I think given your age, I'm 13 years older than you. So I was around for like the CD boom and, and stuff yeah. like that. Man, when you're like 15 years old and you go spend $18 in 1992 for a CD, you're going to have to listen to it for a while, you know, to get your money's worth. And I feel like we don't value music like we used to anymore. What are your thoughts on like how the music industry and how fickle we are as a society? I've absolutely felt that way. I mean, even going back to like the My Morning Jacket record, you know, it was like that was my album of the summer, but it also carried me through a long time. And part of that is because I had it on CD and that was the way that I was listening to music was driving around. I didn't even Mm -hmm. know that song titles i just knew dude track you know three is the shit right. and uh and that's that's how i am with a lot of bands still i mean i'm i i know song titles but it's like they're still burned in my head as far as cd or vinyl you know like where they fall in the in the actual record yeah it's it's bizarre um you know the the cool thing is that for us we're seeing a humongous vinyl boom right now which is so, you know gives me so much hope it really changes the way that you know you you fall in love with music i i can only speak you know i have my ideas about our you know society and culture and how everybody's consuming music i'm kind of hit or miss with that i can say for me personally i just i don't really get into a ton of albums anymore because of digesting it in a streaming platform i don't really 
deeply connect with music when I'm listening to it in that way. If I'm just being transparent, a lot of times I lean more towards podcasts and audiobooks and things of that nature and interviews. When it's in a streaming platform, it just doesn't hit me the same way. I don't really know what it is, but I listen to records and you know, that's, that's what it seems like a lot of our fan base is listening to as well. I can say that as a creator, I'm not really fully migrating over to just living in the digital sphere. Like when I'm writing, I'm not thinking, you know, we, we do have those moments where it's kind of like, okay, cool. We're looking for a good hook, you know, and, and within 10 or 15 or 20 seconds, you want to get somebody there, but that's, that's not the driving force. And that's really not the driving force on this record. I mean, the, the record, we've sent it to a bunch of people and people have said, hey, this has really been, I, I loved it on first listen. I'm five, seven, eight listens in and it's getting better and better and I'm not sick of it. And it's not like, it's not like a clickbait sort of album, you know, it's just, it's a record. Go have a beer and smoke a joint and sit down for 35 minutes and stare at the moon and listen to the out, al- you know, it's one of those albums and it's nine songs. And so we wanted it to really feel like just a cohesive record. I mean, that's how the the first album is too. That's a really, it's one of those ones where you invest in it. It just keeps growing and growing on you. I think the, the art of the album is kind of a dying art because of the streaming platform. I think so too. And we'll see where it all goes. I mean, there there could be a world where there aren't really records or albums anymore. I don't really want that. No, definitely um, not. But I do listen to some folks that are doing some, uh, you know, sort of like metaverse projecting of here's what the world will be like in 30 years. And now I really don't know. I love watching all the Jack White interviews right now and seeing everything that he's doing with Third Man. And, you know, it's just like, it's so amazing to just, take the format and say it's not we're not stuck in the past by saying a record is a great thing it's that this is this is an amazing way to experience music i certainly feel that way so i I really love seeing everything that he's doing with just continuing to grow vinyl it's been really cool you know in in our town here in um in harrisonburg um we have a pressing plant a vinyl pressing plant and uh it's called blue sprocket pressing they employ anywhere from 10 to 24 people it's you know they're pressing a few thousand records a day that we're pressing our record there um i was over there the other day seeing some friends of mine and they were pressing uh sturgill simpson cutting grass they were pressing um liz cooper alanis morissette um i mean they're pressing big big records and there's you know they're like they can't keep up with the demand. So it's it's given me a lot of hope in that way. You guys are also doing something very unique with regard to touring. You're doing that whole sustainable aspect of touring, kind of because I don't think my explanation of it would do justice. So kind of kind of <laughs> run run through that yeah, a little you, bit for the listeners. Absolutely. We'll see if my explanation does any justice. <laughs> but the the quick um what we're doing, I'll start with that and then I'll give a little bit of the the backstory and the context. But what we're doing is we're uh, powering part of our performance uh, via bicycle. And uh, what we just did in, in late July at Newport Folk Festival was we powered an entire stage, four artists per day, 
And over the course of three days, so 12 bands throughout the weekend, um, everybody that came and played, the entire performance was powered by festival goers riding bikes, taking shifts on bikes for three to five minutes at a time, as well as solar energy. So we had a ton of solar panels that we brought up there and we're harvesting sunlight in real time and pumping that right into the PA speakers and putting the show on completely off the grid. So the, the solar is doing a lot of the heavy lifting. We're probably generating for that type of show, we're generating about 90% of the energy from solar and 10% from bikers. We had six uh, stationary bikes set up and you're right next to the stage. And so you come up and if it's an artist that you really love, you know, you get to be 10 feet from them while they're playing one of your favorite songs. And we either give you, a, you know, iced tea or a cold beer and um, you get to literally provide the electricity for the performance. And then, you know, we we do a, we try to really streamline it and make it a three to five minute sort of experience so it's not like a spin class and you're not having to break a sweat <laughs> like <laughs> you we don't really want people to feel like oh great on my weekend off i'm coming to work out you know it's just like <laughs> it's 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 not so much that as much as it is we're contributing to the um, actual environmental impact of the show so just to back up for one second a, a lot of that came out of uh, when jake my bandmate and i graduated from college we started working on an organic farm here in Virginia. And um, we just learned about food. You know, we learned about the climate we, and, and we're digesting all of that. And for me, as a musician, you know, one of the questions that was floating around is, what is the world going to look like in 30 years? What is touring going to look like? It's, it's already crazy enough with the price of gas and with the climate heating up. And as a music lover, you know, as a musician myself, I was just sitting there thinking, really, what is the world going to look like? So we started linking up with a bunch of other folks and we put on some bike powered shows. And this was 2012 through 2015. And then Illiterate Light formed and we not necessarily abandoned that, but we just jumped in the van and started doing our thing. And throughout the pandemic, we've just had this real dream to re- you know, imagine that and bring it back to life and, and keep asking that question because we all love music and we want to keep going to shows. And, and at the same time, every time I turn on the news, I, I hear more and more about climate change and the way the world's falling apart. And I think that we're just wanting to have music be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. And so that's where our heads are at. And that's what we're starting to do. Now, it'd be funny if the crows did that back in the day and you got to go up there for a song. My luck, it'd be like a 20 minute, my morning song. And be... <laughs> yeah. You'd be sweating your ass off, yeah. but of course, you know, you'd be on LSD. So yeah. you'd be having a good time. Be like, come on, Steve, speed it up, speed up the tempo. Um, yeah. I, I, I've, I've really become a big fan of your, of your music. Like I said, it's, it's, oh, man, thank it's, you. it's unique. And I applaud you on the bike riding thing because one of the things that bothers me about anybody that takes a strong stance on stuff and then you find out it's just all talk. You have a lot of celebrities say they worried about the environment and it's like, you know, like the Kardashian girl is taking a private plane for three minute plane rides. And then, you know, yeah. you, you see what Taylor Swift's 
private plane has done. So I always have respect for people that put their money where their mouth is on the thing. So you should be commended for that. I appreciate that. I mean, you know, my hero is Neil Young, you know, and, and so you look at what he's done, you know, over the course of 50 years now, always vocalizing and standing up for farmers and then putting on farm aid, you know, and, and, unrelated to the farming side of things but the bridge school and stuff like that where it's kind of like hey i actually care about this you know i actually have a garden here you know <laughs> like me and jake have actually kept cows and chickens and we really you know it's it's just like uh the the pr stunt side of things i'm right there with you i don't really give a shit about those artists because i'm just like you just see right through it and i think for us it's like yeah, we, we try to be really transparent, especially at Newport, you know, because because folks would be like, I can't believe we're powering all of this with bicycle. And we were like, well, let's really dive into that because we're powering 90 percent of it with solar. And then the bicycle is filling in the gaps. But at the same time, the solar is passive and the bike is so active. And it's so fun and, in, and invigorating. You might not be creating nearly as much electric as a solar panel, but it's really rad. And it, it's a good way to plant the seed. And that's what I think that our mission as a band is, as we think about the future, is we're planting seeds. You know, I don't know what's going to grow from what we're planting, but we as artists and music lovers and people that want to keep going to festivals and all of that, like, it's going to change and let's try to enjoy the ride and, and, and actually make it cool and not, you know, not have it be a drag. So that's where our heads are at. I'm looking at, at your tour itinerary and you guys are about to be on the road for real. Uh, yeah. The truth is, is that we, you know, we've, we've always tried to take more of a, a grateful dead approach than anything. It's like our, we're a live band, you know, and, and the studio is, is a, a you know a great place to capture what we're doing but we've really cut our teeth on the road 2016 through 2019 we were on the we were just touring crazily and um so it felt like the last couple of years was was a real mix-up from what we're used to so the tour schedule is pretty hefty i'll be honest i'm you know super excited i can't wait i i love being on the road well, and you guys are not scared to play a bunch of shows in a row either. I'm looking at it. Uh, yeah, uh, I am going to try to, if I can, catch you guys in Birmingham, maybe. Uh, oh, yeah, Saturn. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty cool place. Um, it's killer. Yeah, we played yeah. there in, in 2020. And uh, that's that place is amazing. Uh, I, I really love Birmingham in general. But, um, you know, every musician out there knows that Saturn has, like, the best green room, you know. <laughs> pretty much in the south well so obviously people that are listening know that your uncle is steve gorman he was our first member of the band and and our first celebrity i guess that uh had on here and he has been always been so gracious to us um i went and talked to him uh after the trigger hippie show in nashville and then i went and saw him in birmingham a couple weeks ago uh, by nice. the way have you guys ever played at nick's steve's told me all about it. we've never <laughs> i've never been there Nah, how is it Man, it is a dive, but it is, you know, it's a very, very famous place. Like 
I was reading that Bono came there just to drink a beer and, you know, the chili peppers <laughs> and Jane's addiction or whatever. And, uh, Dang, man. uh, we were, we were going and my wife's like, I don't know what to wear. And I'm like, whatever you wear, you're going to be overdressed. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, so let's, I was going through and watching some interviews with you, uh, on, on YouTube. And one of them, you talked about kind of how, I, I guess maybe it was Oh five Oh six. It's kind of your first exposure really like to, to go out and see them. And, you're just kind of like, yeah, this is this rock star life's easy. You just walk out on stage and there's six or seven thousand people. And you were talking about, I think, like getting to jump a line at an amusement park or something like that. Yeah, that was earlier than that, because I, I really have a lot of, you know, that like I said, I was born in 89. And so, you know, the, the first few years, you know, when the when the crows were really just massive, I, I was definitely, you know, pretty young. So I really, when I was in high school, you know, everything was really, you know, with, with Luther and all that era, that was when it was really, really, I was conscious, you know, I knew what was going on, but I have a ton of memories in the nineties that were hugely formative for me. And that one in particular, I always come back to it. It really, it feels like a dream, you know, but in that was 97 Hershey park, Pennsylvania, the Crows, Bruce Hornsby, and Rat Dog. And, you know, of course, in my mind, I'm just stoked to go see my uncle. You know, I was seven and I grew up in Baltimore. And so Hershey Park was a couple hours from there and love candy, love roller coasters. You know, it's just <laughs> like the combo, you know, you can't beat it. And uh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll never forget. Like it was, it, it sealed in my mind this false idea of what it meant to be a musician which was like you basically are hanging out at an amusement park with a fast pass like eating candy <laughs> and then playing loud music all day which is like a seven-year-old's dream um you know as i've gotten older you know i i obviously now know the nuances and the ins and outs of it much much more intimately but i will say that you know there was a big moment that day which was you know, at this young formative age, just looking out and seeing all these people just loving the moment and loving the music. And I've always really loved listening to music loud and loud music, you know? And so like hearing the volume of the guitars and the volume of the drums, like from the stage was just like, holy shit. I mean, it's so powerful. And, um, yeah. And your, un your uncle hits hard too. <laughs> he does. Yeah, he doesn't hold back, man. And so, yeah, I just remember that being such a big moment. And in my mind, I was just like, I just want to be a drummer. I want to follow in his footsteps, which is what all me and my two brothers have all thought at one point in our lives. My older brother, a few years older than me, um, was the first to kick off. He got a drum set. Steve sent him a couple things in probably 2000, um, 99 or so. So that's that's where it all kicked off. And myself and my younger brother, Eggy, were all drummers. And it was just like just, you know, the Bonham style, Steve, just heavy, like really sitting into a groove has kind of been our approach. But yeah, that that show in particular, that Hershey Park show had a huge impact on me. And then from there, the you know, I, I remember very vividly standing side stage during the tour of Brotherly Love um hmm. oasis crows tour and you know that was the first time i'd ever seen a british person in, in you know in real life 
not a bad crew to see. Yeah. And and at Merriweather Post Pavilion, Maryland, I remember sitting backstage and and uh, my younger brother Eggy, um, his name's Greg, but we all call him Eggy. And um, Steve was sitting there and said, "Hey guys, you know, I want you to meet my nephew. This is Eggy. We call him the Eggman." And uh. Eggy was six. And so, oh, Eggie, that's great, mate. That's great. And then they go out on stage later that night. You know, it's Merriweather, so they're playing to 15,000 people. And they go, we'd like to play a cover. This one goes out to the Eggman. He's here tonight. <laughs> and then they play, obviously, the Beatles tune, you know, I'm the Walrus. Ah. And, and it was perfect, you know. And like, I remember, I remember being like nine or ten, just being like, this is the shit, man. <laughs> um but you know from there it was just when i was young it was it was just the show felt so cool it felt so fun to just be in a band that was on the run and kind of on the move and then as i got into high school and college the music really you know grew on me and the and the songs and you know for all the craziness that's been in the crows over their entire you know career a lot of that was lost on me as a kid like the it was just my dad knew all the drama, but for me, it was just about the music. And, and, you know, I know every record so intimately, I mean, they're just burned into a moment in my life. And so I know I just, I have that ability to both understand now the craziness of it all, but also really still love the music. I mean, it's just, it's had such a huge impact on me and I'm such a fan still, even being related to you know the band in this way <laughs> do you have a uh, particular favorite album of theirs you know i think um it's funny because i again i don't really know the the crows community super well but before the frost after the freeze was such a big record for me because i was in college and they put out the dvd that went with it and i was a huge fan of the band and so seeing Levon being a part of that i I really loved that. And I loved getting that, you know, it's essentially a live record. It's just, mm. I just don't see bands doing that um, anymore. And, and I, I loved seeing that. Um, I, the, the, first, the A side of that record in my mind, Luther's playing is just absolutely amazing. Uh, I, I think the songwriting is really dialed in too. And I'll never forget sitting at a Orioles game in 2009 and Steve's uh, showed me um, "Good Morning, Captain." Yeah, uh, I think it's the last track on side A. And uh, we're just sitting there, and he put the headphones on me, and we're sitting there watching baseball, you know. And and I was nineteen or so, and I was just like, "Damn, man!" I was like, "You guys only hit the chorus one time, but it's so good. It's such a big moment, you know." And it was like, I just I got a little glimpse of that um, of that record before it came out, and so I think it holds a special place for me but also war paint i mean i i again like i said those were my high school years but then you know backtracking a little bit from there so i guess if i had to say like which album do i know most intimately and and did i i learned a lot of songs off of before the frost but i remember seeing them with Paige, and i was such a huge zeppelin fan that to then see that i just i know that i know it all you know i'm sure everybody says this it's like how how could i ever choose yeah, it's, it is really difficult. <laughs> now, did you get to meet Jimmy Page? I did not. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was nine or ten, and 
it would have been above, not that I would have had anything to say, you know, but it just, I didn't realize the weight of what was happening in the moment. And now I, I look back on all that. I'm like, man, that is absolutely amazing. My favorite part of Steve's book is him teaching Jimmy Page how to take a nap. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's true, man. I, I asked him, I was like, is that real? He's like, yeah, dude, that's like all that. I mean, everything's real, you know, in the book. But it's just like that particular story. I think all of us were like, what? Like, <laughs> that's wild. But I love it. Yeah, the, the Zeppelin, the, I mean, and, you know, Steve is obviously I've always been a fan of his music, but he's turned me on to so much stuff over the years. So any, anytime I'm just in need of a music recommendation, I can either hit him up or just, you know, he's just mentioned, Hey, you know, this tune of yours really reminded me of this. When you were talking about listening to their music as a musician, do you just sit back in, in awe of some of it? It's funny, man. Cause it's, it's like, we're always looking for ways to jam as a duo and it gets hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it gets hard to have seven people in your band too you know yeah uh but uh you know it's it it's um we have it we did a cover of uh vampire blues neil young tune and it's on youtube you can watch the whole thing live that the solo section is one of my favorite you know places to go mm -hmm. explore but as a duo and i'm playing bass with my feet i mean we can't go into the there's no wiser time for illiterate light <laughs> right. you know? um, and you know that's the way it goes but for me, you know, the open tunings, the alternate tunings as a kid, you know, switching from drums to guitar and then starting to learn Zeppelin tunes, Stones, Crows, uh, playing an open G, open E, open D was was a must. Our new record, I think there's a couple songs that are in standard tuning. Everything's el everything else is in alternate tunings, but it's more I'm. I'm not phrasing it in a super Southern rock or classic rock sort of way. Um, it's almost, like I said, almost got like a little bit of a nineties, even yeah. sort of shoegaze feel to it. But, you know, those tunes are really, it, you know, it's, it's one, it's the question that everybody's always asked the crows, which is, you know, in the midst of such discord, how the hell were you able to come together and just the music be so tight, you know? And that's the thing that I think so many musicians, the songwriting is amazing, but then also just how are you able to put all of that aside and just be the tightest rock band on the planet for two hours a night. And, you know, I'll, I'll never really know the secret sauce to that, but yeah, there's so many little, you know, twists and turns and, and things like that in their tunes that, have impacted me and that I love growing up and, and learning, you know, Rich's tunes. I remember asking him on that, um, <laughs> on the drive up to uh, Newport in 2008, I was just telling him like, Hey man, you know, I'm a drummer. You know, I've switched over to guitar. I'm kind of a beginner. I don't really know what to do. He's like, Oh, why don't you get a Telecaster? You know, and I was <laughs> like, okay, okay, cool. I'll get a Telecaster, you know, he's like, and try out open G. You know, and I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm like taking notes in my head, like Telecaster Open G. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, it was like be be between having that sort of actual connection with them and then just getting on Tab's websites, I could I could pick apart some of the songs. But, um, you know, nobody could do what the Crows did. It's, it's, uh, it's really special stuff. I was, I was thinking about some early, some tunes that 
really nailed me whenever my dad would drop me off at school growing up he would just you know blast whatever record we had going she gave good sunflower was kind of one like we were all such eddie harsh fans in our family because he was such a oddball weirdo <laughs> um so descending and she gave good sunflower and stuff like that it was just like this is the shit man but um any any song that they were able to capture in a, a really great jam on record you know that really hit home for us well jeff before we let you go we like to do a thing where we ask you five questions and you have to tell us like the first thing that pops in your mind <laughs> i'm glad i've had a six pack already <laughs> all right what 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 and you can't do the i can't decide thing it has to we have to have an answer what's all your right. favorite my morning jacket song uh steam engine <laughs> very good what's the best gig you ever played newport 2019 if you could have been in the studio to watch one album recorded by anybody who would it be sergeant peppers probably said by many but Got it. it. What's your favorite track off your first album? Without Walls. All right. Last one. You travel a lot. What city has the best food? Mm, damn. Oh, shit. I didn't, think, <laughs> I didn't think this would be the one that would trip you up. <laughs> you know what's throwing me off? I lost my taste. I had COVID eight months ago. Uh, and I and my taste buds are only back at like 60 or 70%. So my entire world of taste has been... <laughs> completely jacked up Ugh. but um i will say that uh, okay here's what's on my mind i can't say the best here's what's on my mind right now is seattle i love salmon i'm like a huge salmon eater mm -hmm. and we've only played there once so i can't say obviously i can't you know put my huge stamp of approval on it but when we were there i had salmon three times a day and <laughs> so i gotta go seattle <laughs> Well, Jeff, first of all, thank you for coming on. I've wanted to talk to you for a while and, and we were able to line it up with you guys having the new album coming out. Like I said, we'll publicize that when it comes out. We're going to buy a few copies and give away to people. Um, it, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Illiteratelight.com. Highly encourage people to go and, and, and give your music a chance. It's, it's very original in a time when there's not a lot of originality anymore. You guys are doing it the right way. You get out there, you get your hands dirty, uh, you tour hard. You know, I'm sure your uncle would tell you that's how you that's how you make it. You know, there's very few people that are actual overnight sensations, but uh, you guys are well on your way. And we always let our guest play us out with a song. It can be one of your songs. It can be a Neil, any song you want. I'll give you a quick little, very short story here. And we'll go with the Crows tune because when in Rome. So <laughs> I want to go. Been a long time waiting on love off of uh, Before the Frost. And the reason for that is, you know, I've loved every um, Crows lead guitarist, uh, or really have. But like I said, I was in high school when they had Luther. And I love Luther. And um, I just bought his Marshall amp. Wow. He sold it to me in Nashville. And it's the amp that he played live with the Crows for all those years. I'm wow. pretty sure it's the amp that he played on the record. And it still says it right on the side, Luther Dickinson. And, you know, we're, we're obviously very different guitarists, but I really love his style. I love, I just love everything about him. And so his solo for, for that tune just kills me. So I, I want to go out on that one. All right, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, we appreciate you uh, as always. And we'll, 
put all your information out there when you get get the album ready to release and uh we'll be back with you next week stay tall everybody Shit.